You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So we do have some more uh, insights. We'll do that first, and then we'll backfill the rest of our time with more prospects to watch in our attempt to get through as many as we possibly can before the draft, which I cannot believe we don't actually have very much time left. All right, so let's start off with this. As we get closer, we're getting much more insights and whatnot. Some of the bigger things that came out in the last 24 hours or so. Albert Breer, 2023 NFL Draft, team-by-team team needs and pick predictions. It's it's I'm, I'm really enjoying this because a lot of stuff that I've been saying, you'll find in this article, in the Bob McGinn article, and then also there's a Football Morning in America article. It just seems like everybody's goal has been recently to just confirm that uh, the Packernet podcast is correct about everything that he's ever said. <laughs> it just feels good to talk about something over and over and over, and then just last minute everybody's like, oh, by the way, this is what we know. It's like, see? I'm not freaking crazy. Let's start off, though, with the Sports Illustrated article via Albert Breer. Here's how it started off. The teams at the top of the draft, so it's, it's I'm excited, you're excited. The teams at the top of the draft, though, aren't quite as much, and that's thanks to the makeup of the class that'll have GMs in the upper reaches holding their breath as they turn in their cards. Um, There's a lot to like, sure, but there are plenty to worry about, too, and that's from the top of the first round all the way to the bottom. Quote, If you have 15 first-round grades, then the class sucks, said one general manager Saturday. I have less than 15. First-round grades. And again, this really does back up every... Like, there's guys I like. They all feel like second-rounders to me. Or at the very least, these are guys that we watch all the time when the Packers are at the back of the first. But guess what? When we pick at the back of the first, most of the time you're picking second rounders. I'm not saying this is a consensus, but this is a GM who said he has less than 15 first round grades. That's not blue chip players. That's first round grades. On top of that, it says the landscape of this draft's blue chip tier is covered with potential landmines. After dozens and dozens of calls and text exchanges with GMs, coaches, and scouts the last few weeks, a few themes emerged. Most teams think that Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are the best and easiest to project quarterbacks, though they come with some perceived limitations. Anthony Richardson and Will Levis come with a lot of risk but potential reward on the back end. Again, we've, we've kind of already known this, but it, it, it goes to the larger picture that there's nobody that you love early on. Nobody. He says, I'd peg the league consensus as having eight non-quarterbacks in the top group with three pass rushers, Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, and Tyree Wilson, two corners, Devin Witherspoon, Christian Gonzalez, two offensive linemen, Paris Johnson and Peter Skaronsky, and tailback Bijan Robinson. Now, a couple things. Number one, that isn't surprising. Number two, did you hear a single wide receiver's name in that group? Continuing, each of those guys have questions. Carters are off the field. Uh, Andersons are on his ceiling, which again is something I've been saying for a long time. Despite the push that Will Anderson is an elite prospect, there are questions about his ceiling. In other words, is he even going to be mega elite or is he just a good pass rusher? Again, in my mind, he's like a Brian Burns, who is a mid-first round talent. Anyways, Wilson's are medical. Witherspoon's concern are his size. Gonzalez are on his physicality. Johnson's are on his play strength. Skaronsky's are related, related to the fact that most teams project him as a guard. I would agree with all of this, aside from not really noticing any issues with Witherspoon. But Gonzalez, my issue is physicality. Skaronsky is, again, I, I, I think he can play tackle, but suddenly he's not top 10 anymore. Paris Johnson, I love his mobility, don't like his play strength. And, and the problem with that is, how does that even make him a top prospect? There's, there's, there's like five other guys who I love their mobility. I just, you know, they, they're not the greatest mono mono tackles. I don't know what it is about Paris Johnson that makes him... I, I don't know, I guess he edges them out, but it's not a heads and tails, this guy is an, a, an elite prospect across the board. And Wilson, my issues with Tyree Wilson aren't even necessarily related to his injuries. And then they say, and Bijan Robinson, he's probably the cleanest prospect in the class, but he's a running back. Which again is, is when we talked about Bijan Robinson weeks ago, the whole point is like, I don't want to take a running back at 15, but he's, in my mind, maybe the only blue chipper in the entire class in terms of he is a guy that comes along once every 10 years. 
And and look, a lot of those other guys that came along, I mean, you could you could say the last one was Peterson, but I don't know if that's necessarily true. Saquon is is certainly in that category, and you look how that panned out. It hasn't been necessarily fantastic. Now, granted, there's been injuries and maybe not the greatest offense in the world. If he was healthy and and you know with the freaking 49ers or something, my goodness. But again, looking at the wide receivers, this isn't to say yeah, well the it, the wide receivers are just as good. They just have question marks. They all have question marks. But even with the question marks, these are considered the top prospects without a single wide receiver in that group. And by the way, they mentioned that there's about 15 left. If you add in these eight and then roughly four quarterbacks, that puts you at about 12. So if there's not even 15 first-round pick prospects, that means that we're talking maybe borderline first-round picks for maybe one wide receiver. That's crazy. So that's how it starts off. Then he goes team by team. Um, we're not going to go through every single team, but kind of pull out a few different nuggets here. At the top, you got the Carolina Panthers. It does seem like Bryce Young is, is you know, every year we kind of, things sort of get set in stone. And then there's sort of a... Yeah, but maybe it won't go that way, and then usually it does. This is the first year, I feel like, ever where we had zero information about any of the picks, and now we have one kind of set in stone. I hope there's no more that gets set in stone. I don't want any more set in stone. I want surprises. I want shock and awe. It's nothing more boring than going, waiting 45 minutes for someone to turn in a freaking card. I know it doesn't take that long, but it feels like it. And then they do, and it's exactly who everybody thought, and then you got to wait however long for the next one. And we, we know the next 10 picks. I don't want that. So it's not 100%, but it's as close to 100% as I think you're going to get that uh, Bryce Young is going to be the first pick. Number two, again, kind of hammering home the point that it, it, it was a done deal that uh, number two would be a quarterback. It was kind of up and down as to who that would be. Um, I think very recently it was assumed to be C.J. Stroud. Now there's some questions about that, but there's also just questions about whether it's going to be a quarterback at all. Got to remember, we're dealing with D'Amico Ryans here, and D'Amico Ryans wants some D'Amico Ryans type players. And if you're not going to take a quarterback, there's a good chance there's a defensive player coming off the board, or possibly a trade or whatever. Um, pick three, still, uh, again, we talked about it a little bit yesterday, but as of today, still, the idea is it says it's well established that new GM Monty Austinfort is looking to move down. And again, Rumor is at least six teams have called, so it sounds like a deal is probably going to get done. I hope it's not before the draft, although that does tend to happen when there's a ton of, you know, uh, wants and needs and everything else. You might as well take the best offer now while you can, and so nothing super crazy happens, and then people start saying, never mind, I don't want it. But I want craziness on draft day, so we'll see. But it sounds more and more like that's going to be a thing. However, uh, according to this, it says it won't be easy to move the pick. One thing that would help is if Stroud got past Houston, but obviously that's not a guarantee. So that, that's the other thing to consider. Just because teams are calling doesn't mean that they're interested. And, and everything about this draft says, why would anybody want to move up? Now, it depends on the quarterbacks. That's going to be the biggest thing. And, and it, there's a good chance that there's a team somewhere that wants whoever's there at three. It's just a question of who is there and then what team wants that player. It could be Anthony Richardson. You know, as much as we have our own personal thoughts on, on him, whatever that may be, that doesn't mean there isn't a team that's chomping at the bit to get that guy. And assuming he gets to three, somebody's going to pick up the phone. But again, this is a tough, aside, unless the quarterback that somebody wants is there, this is going to be a tough one to move. But I think the fact that there are, you know, again, at least four quarterbacks that somebody probably likes a lot means there's a good chance, I guess. Uh, number four, he's leaning Will Levis. So we'll just leave it at that. Number five, the idea is, is uh, Carter, the defensive tackle. The idea being he's going to fall because of his character issues. Well, I, I, guess, I, sh I guess I shouldn't say he, he's going to. He could go at two if, if that's what D'Amico Ryans and that crew decides that they want to do. But when you assume that there's a lot of quarterback needy teams early and the character issues, and then hearing that he won't make it past Seattle, I mean, it just sounds like that's going to be kind of a done deal. Um, if he does get past that, uh, Detroit is a very real possibility for Carter. Otherwise, Witherspoon, which would just make me sick, but that's kind of what he's hearing. Then we'll skip down to the Bears because I don't really care about the rest. The biggest expectation is that they're looking at offensive linemen. Paris Johnson seems to be... Um, uh, the, the rumor here is that Ryan Poles was really honed in on him at the Ohio State Pro Day. Now, that shouldn't be all that surprising because if you go to the Ohio State Pro Day and you really need a tackle, you're going to be staring at the guy. That doesn't mean you're not honed in on all the other tackles and come to a conclusion that is something else, but it's worth, I guess, mentioning that. 
But then you continue on, and he says, knowing the scouting tree that Poles is coming from, I'd think it would be Paris, said an AFC executive. It's the size, the length, just having the pass-blocking left tackle, it matches up. So somebody that knows his lineage says that Paris seems to be in that vein. Uh, Philadelphia, we've already talked about the potential for a running back there. You've also mentioned that this is the absolute floor of Carter. In other words, he, if he gets past five, he ain't getting past this, so I don't know. Tennessee is one to keep an eye on because of their need for a quarterback. We as Packer fans absolutely would love for them to take a quarterback. Heck, take Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee. Why not? It's a, it's a thing that lines up, so do it. Because it's just good for us. The Jets, unfortunately, the big thing with them is Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think we talked about that yesterday. I can't remember. But this is uh, getting off track here a little bit, but this is what Tony Pauline had to say. After speaking with more than two dozen people, I don't think there is any doubt Jackson Smith and Jigba is the first receiver selected, blah, blah, blah. But it says, first, the Philadelphia Eagles are making a late push on the wideouts, uh, doing a lot of work. Second, Smith and Jigba is definitely part of the conversation for the Jets at 13. If the offensive tackles are off the board, I was told outright that the Jets are absolutely considering Smith and Jigba with that pick. Uh, both bits of news surprised me, yet I was able to confirm each of them. So Jackson Smith and Jigba probably not making it to the Packers. And it's going to be the ultimate spit in the face, assuming the Packers even really wanted him a lot. But if it's pick 13 that gets Jackson Smith and Jigba to the Jets and away from the Packers. And it sounds like there's a very real possibility that that's going to be the case. Anyways, getting back to the article at hand. But the, the other way that he could potentially fall to us obviously, as stated, is that's if the, the tackles are gone. So Roderick Jones, Darnell Wright, depends how much the Jets like them. But if, if, if that's the pick, or I guess something to keep an eye on is how many tackles are still sitting on the board when the Jets pick. This all depends on who you even want the Packers to pick, but there you go. Then we get to the Green Bay Packers. I'll just read it. What you need to know, in a really good tight end year, this could be where the first one comes off the board. And while Utah's Dalton Kincaid has generated the most buzz, the name I've hear, heard here most is the draft's best two-way tight end, Notre Dame's Michael Mayer. It'd be a little bit of a reach, I think, but would be a good piece to get young quarterback uh, to get a young quarterback, given how Mayer can contribute immediately in multiple areas with a versatile game, a lot of playing experience, and really solid, intangible qualities. So, what he's essentially saying is Dalton Kincaid seems to be more or less the consensus, but what I've heard in this spot, now that doesn't necessarily mean from the Packers, although that is certainly implied, mostly by people that didn't actually write this, but Albert Breer, after having talked to some people, there seems to be a belief that the Packers would want Mayer as their number one. He says it's a little bit of a reach, which as Packer fans, we hear that and think, well, that makes it more likely. And then finally, we'll touch on the Minnesota Vikings. Um... The talk here is Hendon Hooker, which would just make me happy. I mean, again, I liked Hendon Hooker, but Hendon Hooker isn't going to take the job away from Kirk Cousins. And uh, as, as long as Kirk Cousins is there, and then once they do, again, like worst case scenario, he becomes a, a solid quarterback. But by the time that happens, he's 27 years old and has an injury history. And that's assuming the Vikings can even figure out how to rebuild the team around him. And that's assuming he's even better than Kirk Cousins was because they already had Kirk Cousins. And Kirk Cousins has been like a top 10 quarterback for a while. So unless he's going to be top three, I don't really care. So please swing as many times as you want at quarterback. It isn't going to matter. In a weak draft class with a weak quarterback class, you're going to take like quarterback number five in the mid to late round. <sighs> yeah, best of luck. All right, uh, we got, I think, three other articles here. Let's look at Football Morning in America. This is Peter King's uh, column. Right off the top is something that I find hilarious. This is a text message that he got from a current NFL GM. I do this for a living, and my, my, my mock draft will be no more accurate than yours. We all think that we know, but we really don't. What he meant and how I'm interpreting that are different, but either way, I'm smiling. But um, it does go to talk about the unpredictability of the draft, but especially this year. He goes on to say, um, let me tell you about a GM with a pick in the top 10 for, two, for a second straight year. It says, last year I was 90% sure of our pick before the draft. This year I'm 25% sure. The uncertainty is just crazy. And, and here's the other thing. We always have these sort of static expectations of a draft class. I expect you to get this out of the class. Classes aren't the same. Talked about this yet? What, what, what if there's 20 really good players? What is your expectation? 
If you think we're pulling, I, I demand an elite first-round player and at least two to three other starters, you're out of your freaking mind. It's not possible. It doesn't exist. Now, that's an extreme example, but I'm just trying to illustrate a point here. Imagine the NFL teams and NFL GMs as a pride of 32 lions. Sometimes they take down an elephant and everybody feasts. Sometimes they take down a gazelle and some don't even eat at all. It's watching a show on Netflix. It's actually pretty sweet. It's about uh, chimps. It's only four episodes long, which kind of sucks. But, you know, depending on what the, the, the meat is or what the food is will dictate how, who eats and how much the person eats. This is a thin draft, man. I just don't think that the expectations for this draft should necessarily be as high, which sucks because we want contributions. That's not to say there aren't gems. Of course, there's going to be gems, but the GMs are even looking at this going, dude, I have no freaking idea. It also goes on to talk about the the unpredictability of, of this draft from this perspective of, it says nine of the top 11 teams, the, the first 11, have either a coach or a GM that's either in their first or second year. In other words, we don't really know what their tendencies are, what they like, what, what any of that stuff. Then he goes on to mention something we've been talking about for a long time, even going back into the Aaron Rodgers conversation. He says, I can never tell anymore if the cacophony of cacophony, listen to me, the cacophony of voices around a dominant story is real, or if the cacophony constitutes an echo chamber. So in other words, it's, it's, it's that whole where there's smoke, there's fire thing. No, the, the, there's no smoke. There, there's one person said a thing, and then 50 people are repeating it, and then transforming it into different things. And then Ian Rappaport goes on, and it's like, well, Ian said it too. No, Ian is saying what he's hearing, and what he's hearing is what you already heard. He's repeating. Everybody's repeating. He says, twice over the weekend, I asked people who said they heard Stroud was dropping. I said, hey, without naming names, could you be specific? He says, because sometimes they might be hearing it from coaches or personnel, people employed by teams involved in scouting the quarterbacks, which is valuable. Sometimes they might be hearing from people who are not involved in uh, the decision making or people who just saw Bob McGinn of Tyler Dunn's Go Long Substack report that Stroud bombed the S2. And this is what I'm saying, you know, even like with the, the what I said about the Packers pick. People get mad when I say he didn't say he heard from the Packers. It's like, oh, he obviously, you stupid. Everybody just wants to believe that he was like calling up Goot and Goot's like, here's what we're going to do, man. I love Peter King because he keeps confirming everything that I've been trying to say. Peter King's saying, look, I talk to a lot of people and I get a lot of inside information. But then sometimes there's a second level where I'm like, because I'm curious, hey, where did you hear this? And sometimes it's not related to anybody tied to the team. Sometimes it's just somebody regurgitating what they've already read from some article. So this isn't like, oh, I heard it twice, I heard it four times, I heard it five times over the weekend. No, you heard five different people talk about the same report. Anyways, after that, he kind of goes on and does his own mock draft. He does have Bryce Young going to Carolina. Then he has Tyree Wilson going to Houston, and this is kind of what we're talking about here. Could it end up being one of these top defensive players? Then the trade with Arizona, he has it as Tennessee taking C.J. Stroud. Somewhat unfortunate because, again, we're kind of hoping that's one of the wild cards that's going to snag up one of the quarterbacks that might not actually go top 15, and instead they take Stroud. But right after that, he has Will Levis going to Indy, so three out of the top four is solid. Then he does have Carter going to Seattle, which we've already mentioned. Will Anderson goes to Detroit, which that actually makes a lot of sense because doesn't it seem like every single year there is a similar to what happened to the Patriots all those years, there is that top elite prospect that just falls into the arms of Detroit no matter where they are. And regardless of what you think of Will Anderson, people have talked about him as, as the, one of the top pieces, top pass rusher, all that, and, and he falls right to Detroit. That feels like it has to happen. Uh, Bijan to Atlanta. Paris does go to Chicago. Hendon Hooker to Houston, which would be fantastic. Then the Jets with Broderick Jones. So that would be sort of, again, that first thing. Watch for the tackles. Not a lot of tackles have gone. So there you go. Bing, bang, boom. Broderick Jones. Skaronsky goes next. And then he has 15, Green Bay, Dalton, Kincaid. He says, when you're in the middle of the first round, the best position group of the entire draft is tight end. And your projected incumbent tight end on the uh, the roster is named Josiah DeGuara. And you need a tight end to troll the middle of the field for a new quarterback who is a first-year NFL starter. And you've got a guy who started 35 college games and scored 35 touchdowns. Well, I think this is a pretty good option for Jordan Love and the Packers. And and again, I I have this competing thing going on in my mind because the, the Packers like what they like, right? The Packers have a history of taking these high RAS guys that um, play for really prominent positions, right? Uh, High value positions. Generally, we just took a linebacker last year. 
But generally speaking, that is the case. But at the same time, they also have a history of taking what the draft gives you. So again, as, as some people would be looking at it saying there's not a lot of tackles, so we should snag one early, the Packers tend to look at it as the talent here is in this position and we're going to take that, right? When, when, when it was loaded with quarterbacks, we got a quarterback. When it was loaded with edge rushers, we got Rashawn. When it was loaded with corners, we got Jair, right? This is where the talent is. Let's get the freaking talent. This is one of the most, if not the most talented tight end class of the last 10 years or of the last 20, 30, however many years, maybe that's the direction. So that's where I'm kind of torn. Because you could also say, well, it's a deeper class. So, I mean, you could get one in the second or the third or whatever and still end up capitalizing on where the talent is. But the, the, the fact of the matter is then you'd have Brian Branch going at 16, Jackson Smith and Jigba going at 17. So a lot of the coveted, I guess people wouldn't be, either way, there's a good chance Packer fans will be happy and upset. Right, I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba going a pick or two later is going to really infuriate a lot of people. But if you get Dalton Kincaid, it'll abate that a bit. If you get Deontay Banks, everybody, myself included, is probably going to riot. But they, then he has Detroit taking uh, Deontay Banks at 18, and the Vikings taking Anthony Richardson, um, which I'd be okay with that too. There's, there's, there's that slight fear factor because he has the upside of being the clear number one, whereas I don't know that Hendon Hooker does. But at the same time, I feel like we're just going to have two Justin Fields in this class, and Anthony Richardson is going to be, like, whereas Justin Fields, I think, could very clearly take a turn this year and become a really good quarterback, despite all the trash talk, I think it's well within his reach. Anthony Richardson is going to be the worst version of Justin Fields, probably for the entirety of his time in the NFL. Probably. Which is going to be annoying, because he's going to run for 400 yards and break some kind of world record against the Packers, but also the Vikings will suck. That's if he ever gets the starting job, but... I just like generally the idea of Minnesota taking a quarterback. I think the other thing that's going to be tough is you keep looking at these names like, oh man, I don't know, did we make a mistake here? You see Michael Mayer going here, you see all these different guys, and it's like, oh, I don't know, Jackson Smith and Jigba was there, maybe we should have done that, I don't know. You know somebody that we didn't draft is going to be a stud. That's the other thing that's not great. Anyways, I think we got two more here. Todd McShay dropped his sort of insider thing. Uh, he, he did his whole, I've been talking to everybody over the last week. Here's what I found. Yeah, GMs have been busy talking to, <laughs> like every single media guy keeps calling you like, what do you want now? You know what I want? I know, but freaking hey, man. And who's, who's actually talking? Like what GMs are talking to media guys right now? I mean, I guess like quick text messages or whatever, but like I'm freaking busy. What do you want? I don't, I don't even have time to eat dinner with my family, but I'm going to have a conversation with Todd McShay. Anyways. Um, he also agrees on Bryce Young. And the, the other thing, too, by the way, is it's like, well, everybody knows it's Bryce Young. It's like, yeah, well, everybody knows it because everybody else is saying it, but, you know, 50 more people saying it doesn't further confirm it. I'm not disagreeing with that being the pick, but again, it just kind of goes with the whole, well, I've heard that like 50 times today, so obviously it's true. Everybody's saying it. Right, but they're all saying it based on the exact same information. So it's really just that one data point that you're talking about, or two or three or four or whatever it is. The other people that are just repeating it doesn't add to it. Anyways, very similar. Uh, Houston could go defense, Arizona trade, Will Levis to the Colts, like a lot of the same stuff that everybody else has been saying. Seattle, there's there's some talk about uh, potential quarterbacks, Anthony Richardson, Hendon Hooker, etc., Detroit also could, this is another pick, by the way, pick six with Detroit. I would love for them to take a quarterback just because the quarterbacks are so bad. And the guys that really have genuine potential are probably gone. And and honestly, it might just be one guy that has potential, and that's Bryce. <laughs> I mean, Stroud has got all the tape, but so did Fields and every other Ohio State guy. So, I, you know, okay. I think Fields was better than Stroud in college. Uh, for the Bears, he brought up the additional possibility of, a, of another trade back. I really doubt that. They got plenty of picks. At some point, you're just giving up actual high-quality talent for the sake of picks, and the prospect of you getting that high-quality tackle, you know, in, in at pick 19 or whatever, as opposed to pick nine, plummets. It's funny just reading this part here about the Jets. The, the, the good thing about the Jackson Smith and Jigba pick to the Jets, if that does happen, is this first sentence here. It says, offensive tackle is the biggest need here, and since Skaronsky isn't expected to be on the board, the Jets will likely pivot to Jones or Johnson. So, the the if they pick a wide receiver as much as everyone's gonna be like oh dang it's nowhere near as big of a need as offensive line again they were like the third worst offensive line in football if Aaron Rodgers does in fact go to the Jets which is probably going to happen in the next couple days or day or whatever probably maybe maybe not I don't know all that's doing is setting up Aaron Rodgers for failure he's got wide receivers there's guys there that can catch passes none of them are going to catch passes if the dude's on his back and by the way 
you I don't think we've ever seen ticked off Aaron Rodgers like we're about to see ticked off Aaron Rodgers because this dude has played behind elite offensive lines almost his entire career in terms of like top five pass blocking offensive lines probably a slight exaggeration but he's never I don't think he's ever played behind a bad offensive line I'm sure there's been some fluctuations but it has just been the the whole thing is like the run blocking isn't great but the pass blocking is solid what's the highest the guy's ever ranked in in like sacks taken you imagine if he's like one of the top three he, he might not be top three because guys like fields and whatnot that hold onto the ball too long they'll dominate at the top and then you got the next so like top five in sacks he's gonna lose his mind on top of guys not knowing what they're supposed to be doing tight ends and wide receivers it's gonna be week two before he's screaming and swearing at garrett wilson <laughs> or his offensive lineman or whoever the running back that missed missed a blitz pickup they better get a tackle I'll, I'll say that but by all means take jackson smith and jigba um he doesn't go all the way through so he skips the packers he says that apparently they're not a super intriguing team to talk about in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value jordan love card but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates it's all just a shot in the dark until now introducing slab packs from arenaclub.com the only repack that provides real value a complete view on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one now when i buy slab packs on arena club it finally feels like i know what i'm getting and honestly the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this when i walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs 40 dollars, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value so i appreciate the transparency on grading as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. But he does talk about a few of the prospects and a couple other notes. Uh, Kalijah Kansi, fringe first rounder. I don't think that's surprising it to anyone. He's, I think, been in the first round on the consensus big board for a while. So the, the fact that that's a hot take is silly to me. Um, some of the other notes here, Jackson Smith and Jigba, again, now he's pretty well established himself as wide receiver one in this class. The question is, who's the wide receiver number two? His feeling right now is Zay Flowers. It's his number two. It's Mel Kuyper's number two. But he says, just because that's our consensus doesn't mean that it's the consensus. I've heard three names, uh, Flowers, Jordan Addison, and Quentin Johnston, which again, sounds about right. I can't think who else would even really be in the conversation. I guess Hyatt, but I don't know how much the Hyatt hype is, is real. He goes on to say, Ole Miss receiver Jonathan Mingo is a hot name right now. Thank you very freaking much. And he's looking like a top 50 pick. I'd start, uh, I'd stop short of saying he's headed toward the first round, but I don't expect him to wait long Friday to hear his name. Bro, if we got, could you imagine if we didn't get that first round wide receiver and everybody got mad last year, and in the second round we get Christian Watson, who's a stud, and then we do the exact same thing this year where we don't get that first-round wide receiver. Everybody gets mad, and then next year we get Jonathan Mingo, and he's a freaking stud. I told you, man. I told you Mingo's the dude. And I'm telling you to this day, maybe aside from... I, I think at worst, Jonathan Mingo is my wide receiver, too. Not that my opinion means anything, but the fact that everybody now is suddenly like, oh, dang, Mingo, oh, dang, Mingo. It's like, see, I freaking... I knew... I told you... I think people don't actually watch as much tape as, as everybody leads on. Like, everybody kind of has their general opinions, which are mostly based on other people's opinions and, like, shorthand and stats and maybe a little bit of highlights and this and that. And then people actually start digging into it. Then other people that actually know what they're talking about dig into it. Plus, how many people are actually watching all 22? Again, you can't watch wide receivers on YouTube or watch their highlights and learn anything. You can't see he goes off the field off the off the camera in like three seconds. You can't see what he's doing. I'm trying to tell you right now, Jonathan Mingo's my dude. That's that that's it. For, I mean, if, if there's a lot of guys I really like, if we come back with Mingo and nobody else I like, I'll be happy. By the way, I still have to put together my list of like my favorite prospects. Because I don't remember who they were, but I remember getting super jacked up about a few of them. Um he goes on to say, I keep hearing Hooker will get picked in the top twenty. 
If Tennessee moves back, maybe uh, number 17 swap with uh, the offensive line, offensive line needy Steeler. That could be a team to watch. Tampa Bay and Minnesota have been linked to him as well. Uh, Tampa Bay potentially could have a quarterback on their in their sights. Talking about the tight end class, uh, it says the deepest in a decade, the deepest in recent memory, in some cases even the deepest ever. Everyone is amazed uh, by not only the overall talent, but the variety. That's a very good point. I have eight of them in my top 100, and while only two, Utah State's Dalton Kincaid and Notre Dame's Michael Mayer, are likely to go in round one, I'd be pretty surprised if all our eight aren't off the board by the end of day two. So you got two gone, and then in the second or third round, all eight are gone, which would be wild. But also, Darnell Washington, zero chance he makes it out of day two. Laporta's not making it out of day two, and the other guys I don't even super care for aren't going to make it, so... One big riser is TCU's interior lineman, Steve Avila. He could go late round one at worst. Wait. Oh, I, there's a period there. I was like, wait a minute, at worst? At worst, he's probably off the board in the first 10 picks of day two. Wow. Teams love his versatility. He's a solid player. I know Clayton uh, had asked me about him today. I think I went back and looked at it. I have him right here. Here's what I had said about him. Um, says, I, 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 this is the robot's interpretation of what I said. I generally like Avila as a prospect, but my biggest concern is his weight and mobility. Although he pulls frequently and moves fluidly, I think his 332-pound frame might limit his ability to reach certain targets on the field, such as linebackers. This could be a potential issue for the Packers who prefer more mobile linemen. While I enjoy watching big mauling offensive linemen like Avila, I don't believe he is an ideal fit for the Packers or the direction the NFL is headed. Despite his impressive pass-blocking improvement, his dip in run blocking in the past years raised some questions, so this is his PFF grade I'm referring to. Overall, I like Avila, but I think he has limitations. So I, if I remember properly, and I, and I certainly don't, I'll have to actually go back and listen to what I said. It's one of those things where I don't actually see an issue with his mobility, but I know that at 332, although you seem to be able to move fairly well, the extent to which you're going to be asked to move in the NFL to not just come across the field and, and at a at a not slow pace and try to block somebody, but to actually get up to the next level and reach a linebacker, I don't think it's possible he could do it. Now, at the same time, you talk about a guy that's his size that just on tape seems to be able to move pretty fluidly. It makes sense why you would love a guy like that. So it's a question of you look at the traits and you love it and sort of realizing that there's, I guess, a ceiling that he physically won't be able to reach. He goes on to say, okay, want some day two names getting buzz? Wisconsin defensive tackle Keanu Benton, South Carolina defensive tackle Zach Pickens. Still have not watched Pickens. I was shocked by that because I could have swore I did, but I don't believe I have. Texas A&M running back Devin A. Chain, Devon A. Chain, I can't remember. North Carolina guard Chandler Zavala, have not watched. Auburn running back Tank Bigsby, my man, I'm trying to tell you. All my guys are starting to get hype. What's going on, man? You better get hyped about Tank Bigsby. Oh, can you imagine if we got him in the third? Who would we need to get in the If we got like Michael Mayer, it would be all offense, but just hear me out. If we got Michael Mayer, then Mingo in the second, then Bigsby in the third, you're going to watch me convulse. I'm just going to convulse until I die. Because I, there's, there's, I mean, what else is there after that? That's it. Texas linebacker DeMarvion Overshone. And it says Penn State receiver Parker Washington could also go earlier than expected, and some teams might treat him as a third down back in the pros thanks for his compact running style and ability with the ball in his hands. That's interesting. Three cornerbacks popped up a lot in the conversation as a potential day two values. Julius Brents, uh, Terrell Smith, and Corey Trice. It's crazy how many of these people who are talked about as potential second and third round guys I still have not seen. I'm tempted to go back and be like, I have to cover. We, we can't get have second-round picks that I haven't seen. I've watched like 120 guys. But anyways, that's the end of that one. And then finally, we have the next installment of Bob McGinn's uh, however many part series. This is part six, Edge, Why the Clemson Curse Scares the S-you-know-what out of the NFL. And it should because the Clemson pass rusher, this is me speaking now, isn't actually that good. And, and I've, ne- I've never actually liked any of the Clemson pass rushers. I know I sound like I'm super arrogant and like I know what I'm talking about. I don't, I'm just saying, fully acknowledging I don't know what I'm doing, and I've had plenty of misses. Every single time I've watched these Clemson guys who get a ton of hype, I don't think I've liked a single one of them. I don't know what the hype is. Anyways, um, starts off, it comes up every year, probably every draft room, say hello to the Clemson curse. First of all, success Clemson football has enjoyed for decades. NFL teams have often benefited 
blah, blah, blah. It says, quote, I'm really biased here because I've scouted a bunch of busts at this school, a seasoned evaluator said, but that Clemson helmet scares the you-know-what out of me on the defensive line. Enough of us have been burned over the years. You're forever on guard. In my uh, poll asking 17 scouts which edge rusher had the best chance to bust, one personnel director picked Miles Murphy, asked why he replied, you know, Clemson. Murphy led the way with five votes compared to three for Will McDonald. You shut your dirty, stinking mouth. I get it, he's a small guy, but that dude is that's my guy, man. And Tyree Wilson, 100%. Two for Isaiah Foskey and one for Zach Harrison, BJ Ojolari, and Nolan Smith. Um, there was one no vote. Okay. When Murphy flashes, he's a top 15 pick, but there are a series where he disappears. He's a great kid, got all the tools, going to be uh, going to go in the first, but he's got that Clemson stigma, said a longtime evaluator. From there, I began to ask scouts to explain this pox over Clemson that became evident to me in the mid-1980s. Dang. You know what they do, another weathered scout said? They test really well. It's been like that for 25 years. Clemson's hard to scout because they're so effing spoiled. They're entitled. Unless you're squeaky clean, I wouldn't touch you. It's interesting. Ron Wolf, the Hall of Fame general manager, spent almost 40 years in the scouting profession with the Raiders, Buccaneers, Jets, and Packers. He has been to upstate South Carolina many times where the city of Clemson, population 18,000, is located west of Greenville. Quote, I always felt that their players looked a lot better physically than they played, if you get what I mean, Wolf wrote via email last week. However, they did put a lot of players in the game. You just had to be sure of the one you're going to select. I tried to stay away from there because I was burned a couple of times. That did not stop me from taking Wayne Simmons, who turned out to be very good, but uh, never got any the recognition he so richly deserved. The same could not be said about uh, Antoine Edwards. He was a disappointment because of the overall skill and athletic ability. Simmons, the 15th player selected in 1993, was a menacing presence on the strong side during the Packers championship season of 1996. He was traded to Kansas City in mid-97, self-destructed in 98, and in 2002 died in one car crash involving alcohol and high speed. Edwards, the 25th choice in 1999, was a failure at cornerback, at safety, and on special teams. He goes on to say, everyone has a history with Clemson players. In my 40-plus years covering the Packers, the only other Tiger they drafted were defensive tackle Dontel Washington in the third round and wide receiver Amari Rodgers in the third round. Coach GM Mike Sherman drafted Washington, who was so bad he never played in a regular season game. GM Brian Gutekunst drafted Rodgers, who was so bad he was cut after one and a half seasons with almost zero production. I trust you get what I'm saying, Wolf concluded. If one is interested in a player from Clemson, you best do your due diligence. He added, interesting they only have one player in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Brian Dawkins, but that Hopkins kid uh, that plays for the Cardinals is, in my opinion, an elite player and will, will eventually end up in the Hall of Fame. Well, there's also, uh, oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> I was going to say, there's a good quarterback that came out. Oh, shoot. Yeah, the guy that, uh, you know, he's in Cleveland now. There were other wide receivers and stuff too, right? Or no? I don't know. I guess it is that bad. I was just thinking pass rushers, but dang, this spans the entire uh, gamut. But it says the timing is appropriate for an examination because Clemson might be ready to have three players drafted in the first round Thursday. Defensive lineman Brian Brzee, who I don't like. Linebacker Trenton Simpson, who I don't, I guess I don't really like any of the linebackers. And Murphy have some things in common. They're all five-star recruits in 2020, but just not any old five-star recruits. Brzee was the number one defensive tackle prospect, number one overall player in that recruiting class. Oh, shoot. Don't even tell me. Are we going to draft Brian Brzee? Is he the Rashawn Gary? Anyway, sorry. Murphy was the number one strong side defensive end and number seven player overall. Simpson was the number one outside linebacker and number 26 player overall. One personnel chief was quick to link the three. Every uh, defender at Clemson this year has got a soft label to him. That's just the way Dabo runs that program. That's part of the monster you've got to live with. It's the D-line, the O-line. It's a lot. So soft, I guess, is another issue. So anyways, Clemson, we're not going to go through this whole thing with Clemson, but you get the idea. Which again, I, I, now, I, now I'm doubly going to be upset if we take someone from Clemson because I don't like any of them. And now I know about the curse. And Gutekunst has already been burned by Clemson. So you, you, you got your lesson. Lesson learned. Let's knock it off. Another funny... Uh, I, just bring up a couple more things because I think it's interesting. Several scouts say Clemson is considerably less forthcoming than most schools when it comes to dealing with NFL personnel regarding its players. 
Dabo's the worst, said one scout. You go to a pro day, he'll talk about everyone on the team as if they're the next great NFL player. It's like, come on, man. He talks about the fifth-year senior that hasn't played, and he's talking about uh, he should be starting in the NFL. He's so full of you-know-what. That whole culture says a lot about a team and the players, pampering players, making excuses for them, enabling certain things with players, which goes back to what somebody else said, or maybe the same guy, about them being spoiled. It says, unlike some universities that have all sorts of restrictions, Clemson is welcoming to NFL personnel. Scouts don't expect Swinney and others to tear kids down, but when there's an issue, known or not, they would, be, they would appreciate more honesty. Quote, they generally paint every single one of their players in a positive light, said one executive, which is fine, but there has to be some level of honesty, too, when it comes to off-the-field issues or character issues, and that's being hidden or swept under the rug, and you find out about it when you get these guys and they end up as busts or getting in trouble. It's a stigma that's uh, legitimately placed. So in other words, in an attempt for Clemson to try to make everyone look squeaky clean, essentially everybody gets red flagged because you can't trust anything. Because if something did happen, they wouldn't tell you. So there's always a concern. So it works the exact opposite as you intended. Says he treats, uh, Dabo Swinney treats his guys as if they're his own kids. Um, Says, so they really get kind of babied. They don't get coached hard. They get entitled a bit. He says maybe the competition level in the NFL is a little bit of a shock to him. So anyways, there's that. We'll, we'll get off of that now. In my polling of 17 scouts, asked them to do the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 ranking. It was a runaway for Will Anderson, who captured 15 first place votes and totaled 82 total points. Tyree Wilson was next with 54, Miles Murphy 33, Lucas Van Ness 29, Will McDonald 19, Nolan Smith 16, Isaiah Foskey 7, B.J. Ojolari 4, Derek Hall 3, D.J. Johnson 3, then uh, Viliami Fihoko, Tavius Robinson, Tuli Tui Polotu, and Byron Young in that order. Interestingly enough, the other two guys that got first place votes, Tyree Wilson got one, and Will McDonald. My man. Yes, sir. There isn't a dominant guy, a personnel director said of the Edge Rusher group as a whole. It's not bad. It's not great. Thank you. For everybody that thought that I was a complete freaking idiot for not acknowledging Will Anderson is not one of the premier can't-miss Bosa types, he's not. He doesn't belong in that category. He's not a top-five talent. Then, interestingly enough, when the 17 scouts were asked to pick the best pass rusher in the draft was Anderson 10, McDonald got 3, Jalen Carter 2, and two players, Kalaja Kansi and Wilson, each got 1. Did you hear that? Best pass rushers in the entire draft. Will McDonald is 2nd. Ahead of Jalen Carter. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Out of my face. Anyways, we'll quickly go through the edge rush prospects that he covered, but um, I'm going to do the exact opposite of what everybody else does. Everybody says you shouldn't talk about flags. It's the wrong thing to do. That's all I'm going to do. You've heard from everybody what makes these guys elite. I'm going to tell you sort of the honest opinions of some of the scouts about some of these guys. Will Anderson. He got flagged because he had a 15 on the Wonderlick test. Not a big one. I mean, it could be for some people, but I'm just saying that's pretty much all there is. But went on to say, I don't see much upside there. Said he's much more stiff than you get with guys like Clay Matthews and and, uh, TJ Watt. So he's the same size as some of the smaller speed bend pass rushers, but he's not as bendy. Which which is exactly, by the way, why I like Will McDonald. Because despite the fact that he's small and that might ruin his entire NFL career, he's a speed bend guy and he has elite bend around the corner. But again, I don't see much upside there. I thought he was a momentum rusher. He looked fantastic on twists and stunts and loops where he can get going, but to say he's just going to straight go straight off the edge and beat offensive tackles in the NFL, I think he's going to get blocked. The one game he went up against an NFL tackle, uh, Tennessee's Darnell Wright, he got shut out, Which and I've said that. You watch him against some of these other guys, they don't win. And it's not even just that. You watch the first-round edge rushers against third-round tackles, the tackles pretty well dominate these guys. He said uh, he got shut out, stymied, Velcro. I think he's got to be a guy that goes uh, against some fullbacks, tight ends, and then stunts to the inside. He's not going to bomb, but wow, is he Chase Young, Joey Bosa, Miles Garrett? No. Clay Matthews had more twitch and quickness than him. And he said, what was Clay, 18 or 20? And the answer was 25th. Yet this guy's being compared to him? <laughs> he ends with this. Yet that's where he's, uh, we're comparing him to. Yet he's going to go third or fourth. Terrible draft. That's the whole point. And, and that's the thing. I don't even necessarily disagree. Like, so you think he should go in the second round? No, he should probably go top five. That's how garbage this draft is. At least the top end of it. This is a guy that's being compared to Clay Matthews. Matthews was the 26th overall pick. And they're saying he's not even as good as Matthews. And let me add my own layer to that. Matthews was picked at a time and in a scheme that was much more desirous of guys like that. Guys like Clay were much more wanted back then. 
250-pound speed bend guys were, were it. That changed like five-ish years ago when it all became about these 260-pound guys that compress the pocket. Not saying everybody does that, but it's much more prevalent now um, than it used to be. And even the speed bend guys that win today generally are guys like Miles Garrett and whatnot that can absolutely still compress the pocket because they're absolute freaking monsters. Anyways, Tyree Wilson, two Liss Frank injuries, uh, one on each foot, and a back injury. He struggled at Texas A&M and then later transferred to Texas Tech. And that's, that's a pretty serious red flag there. He's at Texas A&M, and according to uh, the scout, he says he couldn't cut it. Jerry Smith, uh, Schmidt is an old-time strength and conditioning coach, formerly at A&M, now at Oklahoma. He just couldn't do it. So he went to Texas Tech. He said he fits every prototype on measurables, but the offensive tackle play in that league is atrocious. So he left Texas A&M and went to a league that just has terrible tackles, and he's able to beat guys over there. That's not great. This first scout really doesn't like him. Let's just continue with what he said. He's, so he's not beating anybody. I think he's going to get overdrafted for what he's actually going to do. He's had two Liz Franks, one on each foot, plus something else, his back. He uh, got work ethic and toughness questions. He's got injury questions. He went against paper machete, uh, mache tackles. You could put a highlight tape together and say, oh my goodness, this guy is the first pick in the draft. But then when you really look at what he's going, uh, going against, and you're like, that's overrated. Another guy says he works inside and outside, but he's inconsistent. You'll have to coach him to put some pressure on him. I don't trust him, said a fourth scout. He's long and he can turn speed into power. He played against linemen who suck. I don't think he can athletically beat an NFL blocker clean. The way he runs, he's probably 4 7 8. He, he could bust. Wonderlick was a 12. Long arm guy who doesn't know how to play. Slow twitch as far as the mind. Doesn't see blocks coming. He does flash some power as a pass rusher, but that's all he's got. He just tries to run over you. He's not athletic, no speed on the edge, no plan, just another big guy that you're hoping for as a project to develop. And honestly, that's similar to what... What, what did I say about Tyree Wilson when I first watched him? He's a hand grenade. He's a guy that's going to go in and just hit a tackle as hard as he pass, possibly can, but he's not actually doing anything. Sometimes it looks beautiful. If he blows up a tackle and tackles a guy in the backfield, and he's strong, if he gets his hand on a running back, you'll watch him whip him down to the ground with one hand, and that's going to excite you. But we're talking potentially number three overall for what? Again, the guy that he reminds me of is that guy that uh, Seattle took at the back of the first round, and I liked him because he's super strong and everything, but this is not a guy you take number three. But here we are. Lucas Van Ness apparently never started a game in his college career. One of the scouts says, how do you take a guy that high who never started a game? Um, from Barrington, Illinois, which was down the street from where I grew up, I don't see a twitchy enough guy to play on the edge and be disruptive. He's got some pushback ability, but he doesn't have, uh, like, knockback ability, so I worry about him inside. If he's truly explosive enough to come off the ball and rock people, it's not going to get, uh, it's not like he gets into guys and pushes them. He says there wasn't a lot of difference between going him and Ryan Nelson, who was a fourth-round pick in Tampa in 2019. Miles Murphy got dinged for having small hands. Question about his toughness. Question about his commitment. One guy says, we're talking about another Clemson guy, right? I just felt like there was something missing with him. Maybe the production at the end of the day, I just wanted him to do more. He got stuck on, stuck on blocks. He should have got off, that type of thing. You just wonder how wired he is, said a fourth scout. He's not wired poorly. He's a good kid. There's just something missing. You expect more. He showed up at the combine wearing glasses and talked about his engineering degree, a fifth scout said. What's the most difficult thing you had to overcome? Oh man, my freshman year, two-a-days at Clemson, we'd go down in that muck and it's hot and sweaty and muddy. Man, it was miserable. It killed the kid. All these defensive line coaches got together and they've been talking about it ever since. They don't think he's tough enough. They don't think he's committed. He scares me, a sixth scout said. We don't usually go 6D. Welcome to Clemson. I'm long, I'm athletic, I can bait you into certain things, etc., etc. Will McDonald, no flags. He's a perfect prospect. Moving on to Nolan Smith. No, I'm just kidding. Obviously, he's a small dude. Apparently he had a Wonderlick score of 8, which is terrifying. As far as my list of positions where I worry the most or least about Wonderlick, I don't know about edge rusher necessarily. Um, quarterback, sure. Maybe like linebacker or something, I don't know. But he says he might have clinched a berth in round 1 with a bofo performance at Pro Day. The workout was effing phenomenal, said one scout. Bending just the way he gains ground with his athleticism, I just see him getting drafted higher than he should. I'm rooting for him wherever he goes. He's just a different bird, an interesting cat. Scouts apparently are all like 85 years old. He's a jive turkey. Another scout said it. I know I'm supposed to do negatives, but his bend is the best there is or as good as it can be. Try to tell you, man. But uh, talk about how he's not going to be as effective in the run game. Just not that strong. Doesn't come naturally to him against the run. 
said uh, there's some rough there's some stuff in his background really rough background but he has crushed the interviews some teams are concerned about his wonderlick of eight uh, as talented as he is, is he mature enough to handle the NFL? What's he going to be asked of him on Monday and Friday, or Monday through Friday? His biggest thing is going to be his weight. Can he put on enough to be a true defensive end and play the run? Natural pass rushers are hard to find that have explosiveness off the ball and the ability to bend the edge and close. He's got all that and more from Pewaukee, Wisconsin. Let's go, dude. He's the best pass rusher in this class. I don't care what anybody says. Can't stop the run. I don't give a crap. You ever hear of a linebacker, corner, tackle somebody? Pansy. Why's the edge rusher got to do everything? <laughs> Nolan Smith, uh, torn peck, October of 2022. Size concerns at 6'2", 240. Said he's got to start off as a pure pass rusher. Degree of scariness to him. He's 238. Can't really find a comparable player. Don't know if he can turn speed into power. He said he may creep up into the first, which, again, interesting enough. Said he's not Hassan Reddick, a fourth scout said. Reddick was awesome in college productive wasn't uh smith wasn't productive at all he's just out there he's not good against the run he's there's no pass rush on two of the three sacks he just runs free there's no evidence that this guy can be a good player it's kind of my thought i didn't really like anything about nolan smith anyways won't get too far into the other bigger guys or the the further down the line guys but just a couple little notes uh isaiah not an instinctive player I don't think he's an instinctive football player. Looks body beautiful, but plays by the numbers. I was disappointed in him. Derek Hall, some size concerns again, 6'2", 250. Said he's got to be a 4'3 defensive end, an undersized 4'3 defensive end. B.J. Ojolari lacked the production compared to his brother. He's just out there. He's not good against the run. There's no pass rush. Uh, Uzoma, inexperienced in football and rough background. He's got some stuff in his background, a really rough background. Tuli Tuipulotu, size concerns again, just doesn't look like an edge guy to me, he'd be better as an inside player than an edge rusher. And then Zach Harrison, medical concerns, back injury, hamstring injury, questions about his passion for football, and the quote was just, I don't think he loves football. So there's some of the flags that maybe you haven't heard about them. And this isn't me trying to dissuade you necessarily, but it's providing the other side of things because all we ever hear is this guy's so good because this guy's so good because this guy's so good because and then anytime somebody brings up a red flag it's like oh come on that's ridiculous who cares about passion for football it doesn't matter (laughs) okay unsung hero andre carter yikes it's continuing on with the article uh 15 and a half sacks and 21 quote says he's a good bender really good foot athlete uh tall guy got some pass rush knack but he ran a four nine that just shocked me really did it how do these NFL scouts watch guys like Andre Carter and not just see Frankenstein running around out there? Scouts nightmare, Mike Morris out of Michigan. Before the combine, one personnel man predicted he'd be a top 50 pick for sure. Then Morris, 6'5", 274, ran a 5.04 at the combine and an even slower 5.08 at the pro day. I think he ran himself out of that edge position. Perhaps his best chance now would be to bulk up to 295 or 300 and try to be a defensive lineman. Quote of the day, Georgia is the new Alabama. All these guys are treated as monsters, but when you look at them individually, they're not that good. Last year's class at Georgia, greatest of all time. Jordan Davis, Trayvon Walker, first pick of the draft, Quay Walker. They work out like crazy, but when you really break them down, they're not that good. Gee, I hope that's not true because we got a bunch of them on our team. (laughs) All right, anyways, obviously that took longer than I was hoping, but we're still going to go through some prospects. Hopefully we can at least squeeze in two. You know what? It's getting a little bit crazy, but I've got the house to myself. For the first time in a long time, I don't have to watch the little one. I might just do a separate episode. Is that stupid? I'm kind of dreading it, but I'm kind of excited at the same time. Let's just do it. Let's do it. That will end this particular episode of the Packernet Podcast. I have no idea when the other one's going to go up, but we'll figure that out. But uh, we need to start covering some prospects, and doing one at the end of this isn't going to cut it. So you guys have a good day. I'll talk to you soonish, I guess. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>